Here we go. It's a Friday. McCowan, Shannon with you on the program. And you're going to get your way. I'm going to get my one? Way. You're going to get your way. What way? No, no hockey discussion today. Oh, we might talk hockey. Yeah, I know, but we talk, we've talked a lot of hockey. Uh, J.P. Morosi is joining us, who is best known as a baseball guy, but he loves, a ho- he oh. loves hockey. Yeah, you know, he's got uh, every once in a while, particularly when it comes to the college players, he's always got scoops on Twitter, so he's fun to, fun to follow. Yeah, so we may we may chat some hockey, and if not, maybe later on. Um, yeah, so well, well, without further ado, we could sit here and babble incessantly. Which something we are different. Something different. Want to do in any event, but uh, let's bring Morosi in. Take a quick break, and then uh, J.P. Morosi after these. He's the uh, guru of all things uh, Michigan, and. Um, and a lot of baseball, and he loves hockey. And in spite of any, all those things, um, we like having him on. J.P. Morosi. <laughs> <laughs> well, good morning. And, and Bob, I, I do see uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes uh, looming behind you, my friend. I, I will table the Big Ten football conversation for a later date. But uh, what a wonderful time of year uh, in both of our countries right now. And uh, hockey not too far away. And I'm speaking with you on a day when the Blue Jays and Tigers begin a three-game series at Comerica Park, and I will be there. Oh, my gosh. To get some fresh insights for our next conversation as well. Well, I can give you lots of insight. Uh, neither one of them is going anywhere is what I think. And by the way, the, uh, the Ohio State, it's over the shoulder, the Ohio State um, logo on the wall, I am moving. As you may see, all everything is gone from my office except that. That, that one... I've kept on the wall deliberately to annoy you. <laughs> I appreciate the thought, Bob, as always. <laughs> um, we, you know, as a general rule, we talk about the Toronto Blue Jays and maybe we'll get to them, but I, I, um, there's nothing good to talk about. Uh, oh, hold on. Know, Robbie Ray the other night, 14 strikeouts. That Robbie was Ray, well, Marcus there, Simeon. That was uh, of course, good. there are, there are good things in, in terms of individuals. There's nothing oh. good in terms of the team. No. Well, well, let's come back to that. I watched the Dodgers and Padres last night, mm-hmm. and the Padres are such a disappointment. I, would you say they're the most disappointing team so far? Yes, Bob, they are. They are. Of course, uh, they just recently let go of their pitching coach, Larry Rothschild, with barely more than 30 games left in the season. They lost that marathon game earlier in the week that ended around 3.30 in the morning Eastern time. Uh they really have underwhelmed and it's been not just one reason it's been for a variety of reasons. Uh, they've had some injuries. They've had some underperformance. Uh, Blake Snell comes to mind uh, based on his track record in Tampa Bay. Um, the injuries to Fernando Tatis Jr. As we've talked about before uh, he had to move to the outfield. We'll see what happens in the off season with him from a standpoint of uh, a possible shoulder surgery. But when this season began, if you would have told me, the Padres are today out of the playoffs and looking up at the Cincinnati Reds for the second wild card spot. That would have been a stunning result. And so as we speak today, I must say it is a stunning result. All the credit to the Reds, but similarly, the Padres have underwhelmed in a pretty profound way. How, mu- how much of the, the issue, John, is th- those, those teams in the National League on the Pacific Coast, I mean, the Giants always seem to have a little bit of life. Obviously, the Dodgers are, are going to win lots anyway. But how much of the pressure in San Diego is the fact that the Dodgers and Giants always seem to perform? Well, that's a great point, John. And certainly it's a tough division in a lot of different ways. 
Uh, and the Giants have been a revelation in so many different ways this season. Uh, that's a club that has exceeded expectations that just about everybody outside the organization had on them when the season began. Uh, they add Chris Bryant. It's been a collective effort. They're not a team that when people ask, how are they doing it? It's not just one player. It's a lot of players who have collectively brought together a, a very uh, a very impressive lineup. And it's not been an MVP type season for anybody, really. The, the Dodgers, interestingly, they have probably three or four MVP candidates, or at least in a normal year they would. And, and the Giants have no one, really. But uh, Buster Posey has had a re really good return to form, as has Brandon Belt, as has Brandon Crawford. Uh, Mike Yastrzemski has been very good. Uh, and then, of course, they've added Chris Bryant. So it, it's been a collective group that's played really well. Their pitching has been excellent. Their bullpen is almost a, a no-name bullpen, but that's been good too. Uh, and, and Gabe Kapler's done a very, very good job as the manager. And you have to credit Farhan Zaidi for bringing in a lot of the, the pitchers there on short-term deals. Kevin Gossman, Anthony DiSclefani, Alex Wood, Johnny Cueto, of course, nearing the end of his deal. So uh, they've made a lot of really good decisions in the near term. And this is where, guys – and this is the flip side of things, the Giants will make the playoffs with all their one-year guys doing well. Mm -hmm. The Jays are mm -hmm. likely to miss the playoffs. And as much as we talk about Vlad Jr., and we should, they've got three players having great seasons right now. And unfortunately for Toronto, two of them are free agents, Robbie Ray and Marcus Semien. And, and right now the Jays, unfortunately for them, they've got a great run differential but it looks like they're going to miss the playoffs and waste from that standpoint, two extraordinary seasons by players who are about to enter free agency in Marcus Semyon and Robbie Ray. So what do you do if you're the general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays? We had him on earlier this week and he didn't seem too panicked about it. They do have a number of players that are going to get big raises either because of arbitration or um, just because, and, and if you want to, add the free agents, if you go and re-sign them, can you, can you re-sign both? I mean, I think, I think Ray is going to be close to a $20 million guy, maybe more. Semyon's already at 18 and has done nothing to prove that he's not worth a raise. And there will be, there will be a market for Semyon. Well, there'll be a market for both of them. What would you do? I think they can only find a way to sign one of the two based on the budget. Let's not forget, they, they just signed Springer. Uh, and, mm. and when you think about that deal for George, that's almost like two off-seasons worth of, of your marquee signing. You can't sign everyone. And I would expect, if I'm the Blue Jays, I look at this and say, where do I have depth? I have a lot of infield depth. I have depth, players like Espinal, you hope, Biggio, um, obviously going forward. And so – Look at your farm system. You do have some infield depth there. Otto Lopez, of course, has arrived too. But you don't have that same depth in starting pitching, at least not until Nate Pearson proves he can stay healthy. So if I had a dollar to spend, I would spend that dollar just based on positional need. I would spend that dollar on Robbie Ray. Uh, I think it would break my heart if I'm the Jays to, to watch Semyon leave. I think he's a first-class person. Great, great guy. He really is a tremendous leader in the clubhouse, tremendous worker, first-class citizen, everything. But if you're looking at how you have to allocate your money, you have to allocate it towards pitching because how good would this rotation be minus Robbie Ray and Steven Matz? They, they have to find some ways to, to, to maintain some consistency with that rotation. 
And I just think they can't afford to let Robbie Ray leave. And as much as it's going to hurt them, you can't sign everybody. And I think they probably would have to prioritize the pitching over the position player. Well, um, I don't disagree. One of the things we talked about is where the budget of the Blue Jays is. And it appears to me that they're going to be pushing 200 million, mm-hmm. um, maybe as soon as this off season. And, um, and one of the other things that, that we talked about was expectations this year. Fans had high expectations of this team. And I think probably to a great extent, because they actually made the play in game or the postseason last year with an extended number of teams getting in. And so there, I think there was a real expectation that this team young improving will, would be better, even better this year and would be a playoff team, maybe not a world series team, but a playoff team. And now, as you said, it appears as if they're going to fall short of that. How much of a disappointment is that? Or should that be management seems to feel like it's a building process. And while you want to make the playoffs, this isn't a big deal. Do you think it is? I do. I do think it is because uh, of what we talked about a moment ago with Semyon and Ray. Um, and also the overall makeup of this club. When you sign Springer to that deal, you're signaling that you're ready to win right now. You've got Teoscar Hernandez, who, when he's been healthy, has been one of the best power hitters in the game. He's a really good player. And your, your catching situation has evolved a little bit. Uh, you've got Bo Bichette as a young everyday player. To me, guys, this is a team that's that's poised to win now that was poised to win now. They had to make some different moves with the bullpen to sustain their, their run. And it looks like they're going to be just a little bit short. And that's going to sting because you're not going to be able to keep this group together from a standpoint of the, of the finances. And I also think one thing that, that was unique about this year is the Jays decided to go for it at the deadline before the Yankees really caught fire. The Yankees have been the best team in baseball in the last month. Yes, and, and in late July, they had a number of issues going on. One of them was, was COVID with respect to their roster. Um, and, and they weren't playing that well. And the Jays, we've talked about this before, the Jays' success almost always coincides with the time when either Boston or the Yankees is in a downturn. You go back in, in the last couple of decades, you even go back to the early 90s. The Jays have almost never made the playoffs at the same time as the Red Sox and Yankees are both good. It almost never happens. It's just it's almost mathematically impossible because they're in the same division. So I, I think the Jays correctly in late July said, wow, the Yankees are, are a little bit in a vulnerable spot. Let's go for this and try to make the playoffs now. I think that was the correct decision then. The Jays have made the correct decisions, I think, at multiple different times, but the results haven't been there. Same thing with, with signing Kirby Yates. That was the right deal. Just didn't work out from a health standpoint. And now you have to answer the questions about how you can have a team with, with this strong of a run differential, but not the right results. And I think it's going to really provoke a lot of very serious question asking during the course of the offseason of how they get better. And if they've already missed part of their window, because now Boston has gotten better, the Yankees have gotten stronger, and, and a, a very difficult offseason of questions for a really good team. It's a really good team, but they're just in the, in the wrong division at the wrong time. You, you know, uh, JP, the one thing that doesn't get talked very much about it, and I, I think there's an assumption in the market that, you know, the young core is the young core, and they're going to stick with the young core. But the question is, is how long will they stick with the young core? Uh, you know, Guerrero, n- no doubt. Bichette, no doubt. And that, to me, puts the focus 
on Kevin Biggio. And what do you do? I mean, is you can probably, I mean, it may be heresy to suggest, you might be able to get something really good for one of their young guys in order to try to keep a Simeon, in order to try to keep and, and try to bolster either your bullpen or your, or your starting pitching. Do you think that's ever been contemplated? Sure. Uh, and I also think, John, that, that Kevin's value is probably down a little bit because he hasn't been healthy this year. He's been right. in and out of the lineup. And when you consider that, and for a young player to already have an issue that keeps cropping up with respect to his back, um, that's that's concerning. That's a concerning thing. What what has to be addressed so that way he's available to play every day and 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 offensive enough to be able to hold down that position and also durable enough. And if he's not going to be durable and not going to hit for a, for a ton of power and, and a ton of pr- productivity, then he is probably a super utility player. Well, but yeah, but, you, okay. but, but you said something there play every day play where, well, if, if Semyon doesn't come back, there's a spot. Okay. Yeah. But there's also some young players coming up who, uh, whether it's Lopez, uh, Groshans, obviously, um, and then Espinal, who's played very well for them. I mean, Espinal has been a very, very good, good infielder. So we're to the point here where, John, I think the premise of your question is a fair one. Is there a spot every day for Biggio in the infield? Uh, That's a really legitimate question. But when you look outwardly, look at the numbers he's put up this year and how often he's been unavailable and ask yourself, where his value is in the marketplace. And I I don't know how much you would get for him right now. Right. I think he'd be in some ways, guys, I'll be honest. I think Cabin might be a better fit for a national league team. Now, obviously we'll see how much longer the, the DH rule is as it is right now, but I, I don't think that Cabin has, has played consistently well enough this year that he's going to have a ton of value in the marketplace. He's still got a chance to have a great career, but his value's down now relative to where it would have been a year ago. Look, two years ago, the Blue Jays outfield was the big question mark. Um, they didn't have depth and they didn't have individual talent. And that has all changed. Of course, with the acquisition of Springer and Hernandez um, development. And Gurriel's been a pretty good player overall for them. I think he is the most tradable commodity that they have right now that would bring value, but also they have pieces that they could um, move around where they wouldn't feel his loss too dramatically. Do you agree? It's an excellent point, Bob. And I think one thing too, sometimes we forget in the middle of the season, the the underlying nature of, of the roster and, and where they have a surplus. And, and the reality was when they signed Springer, which happened kind of late, one of the first things that came to mind was, all right, are they going to trade Grichuk now? Or who's going to get traded? That question is still there. That question has not been resolved. Hmm. The, the, the Baseball has not changed in the last few months where you can play four outfielders instead of three. What? It's still, what? It's still, no, it's still a thing. Oh, I mean, still hold a on, thing, we, got, we got seven inning doubleheaders. We got guys starting yeah. in second and next innings. What happened yeah. to four outfielders? You're right, John. I mean, we, we're, <laughs> we're, bending, we're bending the realities of the game here. But from what I can tell, Based on my knowledge of baseball, and obviously the DH is part of this, but you can't start Grichuk and Guriel and Teoscar and Springer all in the same outfield. And so I, I think when you look at the offseason, it's a great point that Bob makes. And, and, and to, to John's earlier points too, on the payroll, 
you're going to have to find a way to fit. And, and maybe you do find a way to keep Semyon, but you're going to have to move some money out, move sure. a player out. And do you trade Grichuk to, to clear up some of the money to, to pursue Semyon perhaps, but you also have to realize at some point, are you going to sign Vladdy? You're going to sign Bichette to the, the mega deal. Th- these are, these are contracts that are going to be very, very expensive. It does not take long in, in baseball nowadays to go from a young up and coming team to a very expensive team. The Padres are one example. The Padres have become expensive and disappointing at right around the same time. Mm-hmm. And that is a very, very bad combination. Well, it is. And we haven't even talked about the bullpen, which has been the Achilles heel of this ball club all year long. I mean, that is the reason why this team is where it is. And in, instead of at least right in the middle of a playoff race has been the bullpen period and the story. Yes, the offense over the last week or 10 days has not been as, as good. Lots of hits, no timely hits. But generally, the offense is fine. The starting pitching has been way beyond expectation. It's, it's pretty solid now. Now, they don't have a lot of depth, but they have, they have six guys who can, who can be starters and be effective. The bullpen has been, um, you know, they've been bringing kerosene in, right. in, you know, instead of water to put out fires. So... And, and I've always, I've said for many years, I don't know whether you agree, but bullpens are the easiest thing to fix. Um, Minus the Giants. They, well, they can be. And well, it, it's, but that's where, to, to John's point, it, you, you have to find the right mix. You have to find the right, uh, and you have to hit on the right shorter term guys. You know, sometimes, sometimes when you don't have that, that solid ninth inning, durable, healthy closer who's consistently there all the time, like the Phillies are going through, it still creates this multi-year issue where you're never really able to address it. And the Phillies right now are out of the playoffs and will probably continue to be there. And the epitaph for them once again will be the bullpen let them down. And and that's where they're at once again. Would you sign a would you sign a reliever to a multi-year contract though? It, it I mean, I will yeah, well, it depends who, of course. It, it depends who, but obviously, Bob, and it, it sometimes we say that's the answer. But then you look at the Colorado Rockies, that one offseason they went out there and they signed McGee, Shaw, and Davis, and none of them really panned out there. None mm-hmm. of them. And and it's a really fickle thing to do to sign uh, relievers to multi-year deals. It, well, that's my point. Yeah. You know who the prime example for me is? Papelbon. Sure. Uh, you could go back, B.J. Ryan's contract with Toronto sure, years ago. You one. could mention him. Uh, there's a lot of – now, You some some contracts, more or less, do work out. Andrew Miller's contract, for example, that, that worked out. He signed that deal, and he became, of, of course, very good with the Yankees. Then he was traded to Cleveland and was a huge force for them. It, it depends on the pitcher, how old they are, what they're coming off of, uh, but it's it's a very, very – dangerous thing to do and in, in many cases you look at the pitchers who sign often those those one-year deals one after the other daniel hudson comes to mind who of course has been a blue jay and and sometimes pitchers who have a career like hudson are are very valuable to you because they're not going to cost you that much money and and it's it's often a better approach to take but you have to have internally some pitchers to help soak up some leverage innings and that way you can make some targeted uh, signings as opposed to having to feel like you have to remake your entire bullpen via free agency. That is rarely the way to go. One of the things we talked about the other day was the, 
the absence of the long reliever in the game. And I find that interesting given the way the game is played today in terms of pitching with starting pitchers. There's a reluctance to let them face a lineup three times. There's, um, you know, pitch counts tend to be higher. Guys aren't throwing as many strikes. So they get, you know, they get yanked earlier. There is a, there still is a spot and maybe even more, in my opinion, a spot for the long reliever in this game. And yet very few teams have a, have that guy. Everybody used to have one. Now very few teams have them. Well, they, they have them in some ways, Bob, but it's different. It's not, it's not the same idea uh, that you would have seen maybe in the eighties or nineties, or even the early two thousands in terms of how that pitcher is utilized. What you do see is uh, teams like the Rays or Milwaukee, where they'll have multiple pitchers. They sort of stack on top of each other. And it's not necessarily a given, a given role every day, but you have a, a bulk reliever, a once through the lineup reliever that you trust. And, and those kind of pitchers become very, very valuable to you. And that's where Tampa Bay, you think about their, their rotation. They, they have in the last year traded away Blake Snell glass. Now has been injured. Morton uh, is, is gone now. And yet they're still able to, to be very competitive because they have a creative way of getting through 27 outs and, and their game one starter uh, in the playoffs might well be McClanahan, someone who wasn't really talked about that much until the last year or so he may be their game one starter. And, and so it's, it's not at all the, 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 the Yankee rotations from days gone by, or even the Phillies from the early, early 2010s, where you knew a lot about every, every starting pitcher that you saw, you'd seen them play for years and years and years. It's just not that way for a team like Tampa Bay and then Milwaukee, they really rely heavily on a few starters and then creatively manage the middle innings as a result. So I, I actually think you you're, you're right, Bob, that, that the game has evolved a little bit in that respect, but the teams that do have that sort of supplemental pitching to layer in, are often the best teams, uh, Milwaukee, Tampa Bay, the Dodgers who had yeah. David price as a reliever for a while. Yeah. Those kinds of teams are, are the most formidable in the month of October. You know, it's funny when you, you mentioned Andrew Miller earlier, I thought that year that he was in the Cleveland bullpen and did what he did to get them to the world series. I figured every team would be doing that. Mm-hmm. I figure every team would be having that guy that came in in the fifth and took you as long as he could. And it, it, it it hasn't manifested itself that way, but you know, maybe Andrew Miller's a bit of a freak that way. He certainly, I mean, the, the way that he was utilized then, it was very avant-garde. They were almost ahead of their time mm-hmm. to, to utilize him in that way. The Cleveland Indians were. So you're right. And, and that's where I, I do think it was interesting to see the Chicago White Sox, for example, when they added Craig Kimbrell at the deadline, the idea and, and the statement from Liam Hendricks, I think, was very uh, was very appropriate and, and very well said and stated that he signed there to get big outs. He's not worried about being the closer, per se. He wants to help his team win. And once and that is, as we know, a much easier statement to make once you've already gotten paid closer right. money like Hendricks has gotten paid closer money and Andrew Miller got paid closer money where then they had Cody Allen, Brian Shaw often pitching after him but Miller got the big outs of the game. He had already been paid. And I think that when you've got the White Sox right now, for example, you've got two closers who have already been paid huge sums, Hendricks and Kimbrell. And then the middle part of their pen, they've got Aaron Bummer, Kopech, Crochet, Renato Lopez can be, and he's a guy, by the way, to watch who, to Bob's point, can fill that 
that middle inning role. Reynaldo Lopez is someone who can have that that really good firm fastball coming out of the bullpen when over a short burst, his stuff is going to play up. And so often as we look at it, guys, at this time of year, your long reliever might be someone who is currently a starter, but you can shift them into a a relief role once your rotation goes down to four starters as opposed to five. Uh, Let's take a break. And when we come back, uh, who is the best team in the American League and in the National League? Those are among the things we'll talk about. Uh, J.P. Morosi is with us back after these messages. Bob McCowan, John Shannon, J.P. Morosi, as we uh, talk baseball to uh, end this week. Uh, a reminder very quickly that John and I are actually going to take our first week off next week. And so uh, you'll be, we'll still be posting a, a new program, but it won't be a new program. It'll be a best of. Hmm. So hopefully something you um, are interested in hearing a second time or, or maybe missed the first time around. And then we'll be back uh, the following Monday. Um, not so many weeks ago, uh, I don't know what the statistics actually were, but Houston, remember Houston went on that run. The Yankees were playing like crap. I'm going to guess Houston probably had a 10 game lead over the Yankees at that point. Not that it's relevant in any way, shape or form. As of this moment in time, they both have identical records, hmm. but it is only not even the first of September yet. Um, how much for teams like that, how much is the record in September important? I mean, it's important to get you where you want to go. We, sure. We're pretty confident Houston is going to be a playoff team. There's almost no chance they won't be. But um, do you want to play well in the month of September? Or do you want to ease into the postseason? It's one of the eternal questions, Bob. And I remember there was one year, I think it was 99, the Yankees... Uh, struggled down the stretch and went on to win the World Series anyway. They had a, a, a really tough September, uh, but were the most dominant team overall in the regular season and then ended up uh, winning the World Series anyhow. So it, it depends, I think, on on the nature of the club. Is it a veteran team like those late 90s Yankees that knows October baseball, that knows how to handle it? Is it a younger club that really needs to have that that wave of confidence to take them into the postseason? I think it depends on your personnel a little bit. Um but I, I've, I've seen some teams struggle late and then turn it on. I've seen teams that play great in September. Uh, I, I think back to the Cleveland Indians in 2017 when they set the record with the, the team record with consecutive wins and then just didn't, didn't have it in the playoffs. That can happen too. So uh, I, I think that we, it matters much more how your pitching lines up, how healthy you are, and if you're ready to go for October one, uh, I, I do think you consider where the, the playoff picture is right now in the American league and the AL East is so tight that those teams are going to have to keep playing competitive games, to the balance of the season. Same thing is basically true out West with, with how well Oakland has played, or at least staying in the race. The white Sox are the one team that really they've been on cruise control for months. Mm. Uh, and, and I think, they're a club that can probably make a lot of decisions based on how do we line up for October? How do we look in that respect? And, and I think they've got a manager Tony of the Russo has been to the playoffs uh, quite often in his already <laughs> hall of fame career. So I, I think the white Sox are the, are the team that maybe is at the greatest risk of being stale, but the way that Tony manages the club, I, I don't see that being a real risk for them right now. Well, Chicago, of course, the White Sox were here in Toronto uh, this week, so we got a lot, a, lots of chances to see Larusa standing in the dugout with his mopey face. 
He was the most miserable looking manager during a game that I've ever seen. Uh, well, and more so now probably than when he was with Oakland or St. Louis. I'll, I'll tell you this, Bob, he, uh, and, and you guys can appreciate this story. Um, he, and forgive me if I've told it to you before, but when I would see him in spring training, even when he was an advisor with the Red Sox, this is a couple of years ago, it's probably spring training of 20 or spring training of 19. Uh, I said, Hey, Tony, uh, how's everything going? It would have been like 10 or 11 in the morning. And he'll say, Hey, I'll, I'll tell you in five hours. I'll tell you in six hours after the game was over. In other words, his mood on March the 3rd depended on the outcome of a game that he wasn't even managing. He cared that much about every single game, every single day in the major leagues. And I think so that, that pain that you see, Bob, I, I don't want to speak for Tony necessarily, but I, I do think it's part of his part of the way he approaches every single game and how much he cares. It's, it's agony and it's the best kind of agony. And there's a, there's only a certain number of, of managers who have done it, obviously, as long as Tony has done it, but all these games matter so much to him. And I, I do think there's a certain uh, passion and pride that goes into it. And I think to answer the, the, the question that you posed uh, entering this segment, who is the best team in the AL? I, I still think in the playoffs, it is the White Sox until someone proves me otherwise. I really think that the White Sox are the best team right now. I love their depth and adaptability with their bullpen, uh, with, with the way that, that Tony can can really use uh, all the weapons at his disposal right there. So I'm going to say the White Sox right now, but it's going to be a great race to the finish. Tampa's got a really good club. Houston, their lineup is relentless. They're just now getting Bregman back. He's a tremendous player for them. Uh, and the Yankees, of course, have, they've played great since the deadline, even though – Rizzo and Gallo haven't even played that great. So no, it's going to be a great race to the finish. And I think as I summarize this year, we're seeing now just how good the AL is right now. These teams are just a little bit better than Toronto. They're just a little bit better than the Jays. The Jays gave away games against the Nationals, against the Tigers. You've got to win those series. If you're going to catch these teams that are so good, you're you right. cannot lose games and lose series the teams that are out of it. And they just, they've been doing that lately. You, you can't do that. Mm. And the national league national league, best team right now, I still think is the Dodgers uh, and, until someone proves me otherwise. Although I thought it was a very interesting point. Joey Votto said this week on MLB network that the brewers right now have the best pitching staff he has ever faced in his career, which is mm. really saying something going back 15 years or so of his career, the best staff he has ever seen. Wow. Milwaukee's got a great staff. And so I, I think the Dodgers most talented team, but the Brewers are a club that no one wants to face in the month of October. Hey, speaking of Otto, uh, how many MVP votes? I think he'll get some. I, and, and the NL MVP is wide open. I'll tell you this. If, if the Reds make it to the playoffs and I think they will, uh, Joey's going to be a top five finisher in the, in the NL MVP vote. Does anybody compete with Otani for the AL MVP? No, I don't think so. Yeah. He, he's doing something that we've never seen before. And, and there were comparisons made to him uh, with, with Ruth. Ruth wasn't doing this. And, and I just saw Otani play in person in Williamsport, PA, uh, over the weekend, the Little League Classic. He is an incredible athlete. My goodness. His base running, he is built like an NBA forward uh, mm -hmm. in terms of his athleticism and the way he moves around the diamond. He is so much fun to watch. He, what an athlete he is, obviously, all around uh, the MVP of the American League, and, and I think it will probably be unanimous this year. Well, you, with all me, due respect to Vladdy. Let, me ask, let me ask you guys this. 
if Otani didn't pitch as well as hit, mm-hmm. if he only hit, is he still the MVP? And is it fair to um, include his pitching? Now, we know he's the best player in baseball overall. Right. But pitching should have nothing to do really with MVP. There's a Cy Young award. I mean, I know a pitcher can win the MVP right. award, but if he's just a hitter, is he the MVP? I, I still think he is. You he, do, huh? he leads the, he leads the AL in home runs as well. I know. And, and look at what he's been doing. So, and, and for me, Bob, first of all, I, I've been someone who has voted in the past pitchers for MVPs or had them high up on my ballot. I think last year I had Bieber somewhere in my top four, um, so I'm a believer that a pitcher can be an MVP and that, so therefore their pitching numbers certainly qualify as part of this discussion. But I would say, even if it were not for pitching, Otani has been so good this year offensively and certainly his team is going to be not in the playoffs, but part they're sort of on the outside of the wild card mix, but really to be honest, how different is Toronto's situation right now than what the angels have? I, I, I think that. Vlad has not put the Jays into the playoffs. If he did, it'd be a little different calculation. I think Otani, even apart from pitching, is the MVP. Frustrating when you look at them losing games like thirteen to one to Baltimore and three games under five hundred. I mean, when you when when we started this conversation a while ago, you said San Diego is your most disappointing. I think there's got to be some votes for the Angels. Oh my goodness gracious! Disappointing team, and and once again, the story with Trout remains the same. Yeah, exactly. He uh, He is the best player by reputation and by performance over the last decade, but one playoff appearance. I will say this in Williamsport trout, not on the active roster, but he was there as a great ambassador for the game. I thought the way he interacted with the kids, he did every interview ESPN asked. And then certainly uh, the press conference as well with us. I I think Mike trout aces in terms of the way represents the game. Uh, Last one from me, Uh, the Toronto blue Jays still have 10 games left, believe it or not against the Baltimore Orioles which could be consequential, but probably not at this point. The Orioles just lost 19 in a row. They've won 40 yes. games on the year. Um, they're going to lose 100. They may lose 120 for all I know. Well, I guess they won't get to 120. But this is not just a bad team. This is a team that has been bad for some considerable period of time. Um, how do you fix that? That's an excellent question. And uh, they have some internal options. Adley Rutschman's going to come up, and he's someone that is highly regarded there with the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, the question they're going to have to face this off season is what do you do with Trey Mancini? He is the face of the franchise. We know what he's overcome in his battle with cancer to come back. He's a very popular player right now. Yeah. But what do you do? They're young pitching. They have got some pitching coming, but, but it's going to take some, uh, some time for that pitching to mature to the point where they can compete with Tampa, the Yankees, Boston, and Toronto. This is a really hard division as we know for a young team to make some progress. And I think, Baltimore is at least two years away from being relevant and competitive for a division title based on how soon their young pitching is going to show up and what they do with Mancini. Do you trade him for prospects right now? I think they probably bring him back, but it's a really tough choice for Mike Elias this winter. A team being disappointing is difficult on the fans, but a team that has no hope and has had no hope for a long period of time. um, It makes you wonder what, what, what fans think like, how do you keep how do you keep dishing out 50 bucks to go to the ballpark when right. you know there's 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 not much chance of them winning that game and there's no chance of them winning anything beyond that 
Right. Um, it's it's been quite a struggle. Uh, Morosi, uh, thank you for wearing the jacket. I know you didn't do it for us. You did it for your TV buddies, but uh, we appreciate it nonetheless. I, I felt like it was important to bring uh, bring the jacket out for this conversation. I, I, I You know, Bob, I have so much respect for you and John. I wanted to, to, to class yeah, yeah. it up on my end oh. so I could play in your league. And, uh, and, and, and how about this? To the benefit of our listeners, because I have to run to the, to the TV responsibilities, you don't even have to listen to Morosi's random hockey musings this time around. I, but, but trust, I, I've got plenty of them for next time. Uh, my, my take on being part of the draft coverage was a lot of fun. I'll, I'll review all that stuff going forward, but no hockey musings from Morosi today. I'm just, I'm putting that on vacation for now. We've had lots of hockey this week. So, okay. I, I heard great conversation with Eddie Olchuk. I heard Kevin Weeks recently. I listen to the show. You guys do a great job. I, I, I love listening to you guys. We love you for doing it. Um, Thanks, guys. Don't forget the season is about to start. Oh, you know, please. Good, oh. good luck to the Buckeyes. We'll see you in November, Bob. Uh, good <laughs> luck to the um, Michigan. Uh, Oh, Wolverines. Yeah. yeah. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a while since I've had to use that no, that word. Pardon the profanity. Uh, JP Morosi, we'll come back and wrap it after these messages. So again, our thanks to uh, John Paul Morosi of Michigan. Don't hold it against him, especially if you're a Buckeye fan. He shows great respect to the team that kicks the snot out of his every uh, fall. Um, I wanted to, uh, chat with you briefly about, at least about, um, last night's hockey game between Canada and the U S the women's game. Yeah. And I, 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 I'm here to confess. I, I don't follow it as closely as many others do, but I thought Canada had kind of a rebuilding lineup. Mm -hmm. I thought the U S was by far the strongest team in this tournament. Veteran laden. And the U.S. beats Canada as often as they, they lose to Canada. Maybe a bit more they beat them, mm -hmm. especially of late. Canada wiped them out last night. Yeah, uh, don't, don't put too much stock in it. Um, and as soon as you see the score, it, it, you know, dominant for Canada, it certainly looks like that. But you know how international hockey tournaments go. This is the end of the round robin. It didn't um, really matter that much. It doesn't matter. Is it great for the Canadian program to have a, have a big game like that? Yes. But tell me Wednesday morning next week after the gold medal game. Uh, and I, I just, you know, the, when you look at the, you're, you're right about Canada have it rebuilding, but the Americans and the, the quality of their veteran players um, I, I just, it's going to be interesting to see if Canada keep up. The one thing is for the longest time, the Americans were a faster team. Like, and I'm not talking for four or five months. I'm talking for four or five years. Yes. They were a much faster team. Uh, that certainly didn't appear to be the case, um, in, in the game that we watched. So that, that's a, that's a positive for Canada. They had to improve their speed to beat the Americans and they certainly and they've done it. And they, it certainly looks like they've done that. I mean, it was, you know, th that's where. That's where the, the younger players on the, on the Canadian program, uh, similar to what we saw at the soccer, Bob, you know, this next generation of, of young female athletes that playing for Canada, they seem to have uh, uh, up the skill and up, up the comp competitive level at this point. Any chance Canada and the U.S. don't meet for the gold medal next week? 
Uh, I mean, I know there's always a some. There's chance. always a chance. I, I I doubt it. I mean, listen, that's this is this truly is one of the great rivalries in, in sports at any level. Well, the one thing that I will say is um, gone are the sixteen nothing games, at least for the time being. I mean, at least the other countries are far more representative. Yep. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And and it, I mean, women's hockey. And I mean, I remember going back and being involved in that uh, the World Hockey. Uh, Congress uh, here in Toronto. Uh, and the biggest concern was that there was only two teams. And yes, if there was only two teams uh, and the other, uh, other countries did not contribute to the success of the program, um, women's hockey was going to be taken out of the Olympics. Mm-hmm. It was going to be taken out. And there have been some really great stories uh, from Finland, from Sweden, from Switzerland over the last couple of Olympics, particularly, but uh, world championships that have given a new life to the women's hockey program around the world. All right. We're going to take next week off uh, as advertised. Uh, we'll have uh, best ups for you. If you, you want to keep uh, tuned in and well, if not, we can't force you. What? Um, a week Monday, we'll be back. And with uh, some exciting news to uh, pass along to all uh, John, I'll miss you. No, you won't. Not in, not even a little bit. I know uh, for John Shannon, Bob McCowan. See ya.